This episode of our podcast is sponsored by the University of St. Joseph, whose master's degree programs help K-12 teachers improve outcomes for their students and improve employability and salary potential for themselves. This is Steady Habits, the Connecticut Mirror podcast that takes a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining us. Today, we're going to start a two-part back-to-school special looking into what learning might look like as the COVID pandemic continues into this fall. Tomorrow, we'll be talking with Connecticut's education commissioner and a Bridgeport middle school teacher about what we learned from the end of last year when classrooms went online, causing the education gap to get even wider. At first, Governor Lamont said school buildings would be open, but he's walked that back and is now leaving it up to districts. That's on tomorrow's show, but today, what are colleges and universities going to do? Now that August is here and reopening plans for school seems a bit less abstract, the reality is starting to set in about what campuses could look like in the fall. In the Connecticut Mirror's Viewpoints section today, in the latest installment of the Millennial Pulse series, our Steady Habits producer, Jessica Friedman, asks, will social distancing on campuses become the new peer pressure? She writes about schools' plans for family pods, a kind of predetermined social circle for each student as a way to cut down on close contact. Now, neither Jess nor the students that she talked to are so sure this plan is going to work. Elizabeth Lupinacci will be returning to Quinnipiac University in the fall for her senior year. She plans on being careful, and her friends do too, but she worries that it will be the irresponsible actions of some that might determine the fate for all the students on campus. Unfortunately, I really don't have that much faith in people, given everything that's already happened. Um, I've seen a lot of like tweets that are like, this pandemic is why I hate group projects. And I agree because I feel like I'm being safe and distancing from people and wearing a mask. And I feel like others are not. It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to kind of attitude. And it's easy to be concerned over what we've seen in the news from across the country. Big groups of young people partying at the beach or hanging out at bars. But not every student's planning to do that. In fact, a lot of students and friend groups are planning on being very cautious. And while they may be excited to return to a sense of normalcy, they're staying pretty realistic. Anurada Mani is a second-year MBA candidate at the Yale School of Management. I think people are really keen to get back into the scene, so to speak, but it will certainly be modified. So I, for instance, do not intend to go anywhere that is indoors, um, probably not until next year in terms of like a party or anything like that. So thankfully, you know, in the Northeast, the weather should be good probably through late October, early November, and we can continue to congregate outside um, and maintain a very safe distance. Um, and so, you know, just as someone who cares for other people and, and myself, you know, I want to make sure that I am not part of the problem um, and, and my friends aren't either. So I think keeping each other accountable too. Um, there will be an element of that, but but a lot of people have already expe- expressed, you know, personal responsibility and this sense of conscientiousness, which you know is very um, reassuring to me. Now we know that Connecticut, compared to other states, has gotten the virus pretty well under control at this point. 
But with students traveling from all over the country to return to their campuses, will this ultimately matter? Here's Tyler Lasicki. He's a rising senior at UConn. I'm curious to see if Connecticut's position with how well, I guess, we've handled coronavirus has an impact on like confidence and, and stuff through this for the schools as well as like, like once we're there. Um, but I, I have a feeling that like regardless of what state you're in and how bad things have been, if the school's open and kids are living off campus, I, I have a feeling that like it, it, it's going to be the same pretty much everywhere. For her piece in Viewpoints, Jessica talked to students and also to a Yukon psychologist who's extensively researched the psychosocial mechanisms of health and risk behavior and decision-making. We wanted to know how, with what we know about student behavior, colleges should be thinking about getting students back together on campus this fall. Here's Jessica. Joining me now on Steady Habits is B. Dagocha. He is an assistant professor in residence in the Department of Psychology and Africana Studies at UConn. Bede, thanks for being here today. Great, thank you. In at least some capacity, students are going to be back in the classrooms, in the dorms, and they'll certainly be back if they live off campus. Schools are clearly going to be doing their best to control the uncontrollable here, but safety, both on and off campus, is really going to be up to the students and the choices that they make. Bede, what's your take on all of this? It, it really is unknown, and it's a it's plenty of reason for people to uh, be cautious in how they make these decisions. Uh, even for college students, I know one of the things that we may get into is the sense of invincibility that um, young people, particularly uh, college-age uh, young people, feel that sense of invincibility. And for the most part, they really are strong physically and many ways. Uh, but and I, I think the short version of that is really that it uh, warrants all the attention and um, money and time that uh, people are devoting to try to figure out uh, ways to uh, remediate, handle it, but especially also finding um, a vaccine. Um, I'd love to talk about that invincibility thing that you mentioned. You know, we know that college students are really, they're exploring their identities, they're figuring themselves out. And in a lot of cases, they are experimenting with some risky behaviors. Can you explain the psychological reasoning behind some of this? So you have this period that's really a great period for growth. And a lot of good things happen on average because a lot of people succeed in achieving these uh, developmental um, skills and achieving uh, meeting the developmental challenges. However, while they're going through it, oh yeah, it can be a lot of turmoil and um, um, ups and downs, like a roller coaster for, for some of them. And so unfortunately, part of what comes with uh, being an emerging adult is Part of exploration is to push the envelope. Groups of young people, college age, some of them actually belonging to colleges, have had parties where they've intentionally gone to see who would um, get coronavirus from the party. And so we, um, so we had, me had mentioned this idea of invincibility. As in, good things are going to happen to me. I, I'm not as risky as the really risky person is, right? And so all of those things put together give them this sense that they are something close to invincible. And so that's not the way to take this particular disease. So going back a little bit, speaking of those parties that you were talking about, um, I want to talk a little bit about 
the role of alcohol here. You know, not every college student is obviously going to be out binge drinking every single night, but you know, the drinking culture in college is, it's often a little bit more than just a glass of wine with dinner. So what role do you think alcohol has to play here? So I'll, I, I'll try not to get technical, but alcohol at its best can serve a really useful function in the way people socialize, including young people. If it's abused, invariably you'll get behaviors where people actually lose control because alcohol, for both uh, physiological and psychological reasons, can make people engage in behaviors that they... Um, if they wouldn't do sober, would certainly think long and hard before they did them. And so that becomes a problem. So alcohol can actually make uh, COVID-19 everything we've already mentioned that's challenging or bad about it exponentially worse. Well, speaking of students engaging in risky behaviors that they wouldn't normally engage in, I want to talk about peer pressure before we wrap things up today. You know, much like alcohol, peer pressure can be both beneficial and harmful. Um, a group of safe students might shame someone if they're not being careful enough. But of course, conversely, students might be pressured into taking more risks than they're necessarily comfortable with. How do you think peer pressure is going to come into play in the fall? So you're absolutely right. You actually have summarized where most of the research is, right? If you get a bunch of people who, if on their own, would like to push the envelope, explore, test things, if they get together in a friendship circle where other people share those same beliefs and those same values, oh, then as a group, they actually will be more extreme than any of them will um, individually. And part of what makes that so is not just the fact that they belong to a group, but that the group can regulate its members' behaviors, good or bad. And so the egging on of do it, do it, do it, chug it, chug it. Um, we just finished talking about the sense of responsibility. Each per if the person feels like, nope, I'm in it for myself and I don't have responsibility for anybody else. Yeah, that makes violating rules fairly easy. But then if you add peers that egg them on or alcohol and other things that actually reduce their inhibitions, oh, you're going to get flagrant abuses. And again, this is how the virus works. You can start drawing lines of connections and uh, the school will have to close. Bede, thank you so much for talking with me today and for sharing your expertise. I wish you a safe and successful fall semester. I'm glad to have had this talk, and I really do want, want it to be clear that even those of us who study young people uh, absolutely are cheering them on, value them. Uh, our future depends on them, and so I believe in them, and they're going to do great. That's Steady Habits producer Jessica Friedman. If you're not already subscribed to our podcast, you should really do it. It's wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't checked out our page with all of our episodes, you can go to steadyhabits.org. Look for a bonus show in your feed this week. It's part two of our Back to School series. We'll listen into our coffee conversation that we had last week with Connecticut's Education Commissioner, Miguel Cardona. Our Steady Beats are provided by George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson and recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. This episode is sponsored by the University of St. Joseph, whose master's degree programs help K-12 teachers improve outcomes for their students and improve employability and salary potential for themselves. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks for joining us.